Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Recast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. As often happens, whenever there is an intriguing matchup on the court, what is said by the combatants afterward takes it to another level. Sometimes the comments are adversarial or continue the scrum in verbal form from whatever the conflict was during the game. Sometimes the comments just give us a deeper insight into how the combatants think, which then colors how we see what they did or do on the floor. The latter is what we got from remarks that came to light after the Bucks beat the Nets in overtime a couple of nights ago with Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo squaring off in an unofficial side battle for bragging rights as the best player on the planet. I say the remarks came to light because Durant's didn't come at the podium after the game, but in a Sports Illustrated story. My friends at SI, by the way, are on one right now. They just had an exclusive with Joel Embiid that provided some talk show fodder, and now this piece in which Durant talked about how both the Oklahoma City Thunder and Golden State Warriors have to retire his jersey number, that it would be bad for basketball if they didn't. It was both a breathtaking statement of arrogance and a clear misunderstanding of why teams retire jerseys, seeing as Durant left both franchises not on the best of terms. For anyone in the dark on this subject as much as Durant, here's what is unique about most, if not all, numbers that have been retired. They're done so because the fan base has a deep emotional attachment to that particular player. So much so that they can't imagine wanting to see anyone in that uniform for their team ever again. They have cherished memories of that player, and they don't want them sullied or overshadowed. Brad Davis averaged 4.9 points for the Dallas Mavericks, but his number 10 has been retired. 
Nate McMillan's number 10 has also been retired by the Seattle Supersonics. He was a solid player for the Sonics, but a sixth man. He finished his 11 seasons all in Seattle with career averages of 5 points and 5.2 assists. Dave Twardzik had his number 13 retired by the Blazers, the Portland Trail Blazers, after playing only four seasons for them, his career cut short by injury. He had played four seasons for the Virginia Squires in the ABA before joining the Blazers. He was a model of efficiency, never averaging more than 10 points in any one of the four seasons with the Blazers, but finishing first in the league twice in true shooting percentage. He was the Blazers' starting shooting guard, yes, averaging no more than 10 points a game, on their lone championship team in 1977. Now, I got to know Dave when he took a turn as the Warriors' GM. He wasn't a very successful GM, but he was one hell of a nice guy. He still drove a beloved Porsche that he had bought in the 70s when he was a player. He uh, proved to be loyal as the day is long. In the draft where the Warriors held the number one pick, he took Joe Smith over Antonio McDice, Rasheed Wallace, and Jerry Stackhouse. Joe had the reputation at Maryland in his one year there as a freshman of being a no-nonsense, quiet, hard worker. That's what Dave was as a player, and it's what endeared him to Blazers fans. That, along with the memory of him attached to that championship. For all three men, retiring their numbers was an act of love as much as it was an act of respect or admiration. Love, respect, admiration. Those are not words I imagine describe how a large swath of Thunder or Warriors fans feel toward Kevin Durant. Maybe a few, but not enough to pressure their respective teams into honoring KD. Certainly not an overwhelming number. At least as far as pressuring the organizations to retire KD's number, I don't see that happening anytime soon. KD saw the comments, by the way, on social media, criticizing his remarks about having his number retired, and responded, responded saying, he didn't see how he said anything wrong. Which makes me wonder about the people around him. Did none of them explain it to him? Or were they unaware why teams want their fans to be able to look up into the rafters and see a former player's number? That it's about giving the fans a chance to look up and remember the joy and pride that player that player delivered them. I dare say you put 35 in the rafters in the, whatever they're calling that arena now, Chesapeake Arena, whatever the arena is in the, the Thunder Arena, I don't know that the fans would look up there and see the 35 and wouldn't feel at least a pang of anger or hurt that KD up and left them, didn't just up and leave them, but went to the team that they were up 3-1 on, the Golden State Warriors, and then won championships there. And... In the same way, the fact that KD was uh, very reticent his last year and was non-communicative when it went with the Warriors and ultimately decided to bounce and go to Brooklyn, that makes the fan base feel a certain way too, especially with his grousing about not being appreciated 
for his two finals MVPs and his the suggestion that he was on some level jealous of where he stood in comparison to Steph Curry. KD's comments about having his number retired became even more striking when we became aware of them about the same time we heard Giannis talk at the podium after the overtime win about how he strives to stay humble, that it is what feeds him, not gloating about or wallowing in his success, but believing that there is more to do, believing that he has more to prove. That's what he felt he did when he hit the three, the big three that sent the game into overtime, or knocked down the last of his 15 free throws that ended up being the winning points. He says that he stays humble by staying in the moment, focusing on the goals before him, not looking back at what he's done or what he hopes to do in the future. It's pretty much the opposite of what KD is doing in thinking and talking about why the Thunder and Warriors have to retire his number. I just can't get over that, that, that approach. They have to retire my number. It would be bad for basketball. Unbelievable disconnect with what the fan base, how the fan base truly feels. He looks at it simply as, I was a great player for your team. I won a lot of games. I scored a lot of points. Having your number retired is a lot more than that. Being beloved by a fan base is a lot more than that. And I would think that someone as intelligent as KD and sensitive, clearly sensitive, as sensitive as KD is, would understand that. And yet, he's thinking about what he did for those franchises and what they should do sometime in the future to honor him. He's not thinking about the present, as Giannis is, at all. And I can't help but feel that KD and Giannis's respective mindsets inform how their teams think. The Nets have acted ever since KD and Kyrie Irving decided to join them that championships and success are practically their birthright. The Bucks, on the other hand, look hungry to prove that last year was no fluke of timely injuries for opponents or the luck of KD having his toe on the three-point line when he made the shot in last year's Game 7 that would have won the game in regulation and instead merely tied it, forcing overtime, where the Nets ultimately lost. I sometimes wonder what Giannis must think if he sees or hears the comments by Kyrie and KD, but particularly Kyrie, about being a voice for the voiceless, casting himself as someone persecuted for his beliefs. Giannis is an immigrant twice over. He knows what it is to be voiceless, to be persecuted, to be treated as an outsider. I also wonder if Kyrie ever considers how silly his protests and declarations about being distracted by the misery and injustice in the world as if he is somehow suffering that misery and injustice as someone who grew up in the United States with a father who played professional basketball in Australia and then moved to the States, settling in West Orange, New Jersey, where Kyrie was too. Now, never been in West, West Orange. I went to school with some people from West Orange. I went to an Ivy League school. I believe the people in West Orange have done pretty well for themselves. From everything I know about Kyrie's life, he's never known hardship at the level Giannis and his family have. And now they are both making hundreds of millions of dollars. And Giannis feels grateful and blessed while Kyrie still finds room 
to feel maligned. On to the game. What I appreciated about the game or this most recent Nets Bucks battle was Durant and Giannis's willingness to defend each other. And I think this is where this might get difficult for some of you when I talk about these players and I talk about things that I admire and things that I question. It's not all black and white. There are certain things that I admire and appreciate about LeBron James. Ah, damn it. I said I said the name. I was going to try to avoid saying his name in, a, in, in at least one podcast. Sorry. Any number of players. Steph Curry. Although, kind of hard to find fault with Steph. But there's plenty of players where I can admire and respect one aspect of them and have questions about how they conduct themselves or perform in another. It's... In my mind, it's not always black and white. That's what being fair is. Now, the problem is it opens the door for someone wants to latch on to the critical things I say and say you're a hater. And those who want to say that I am unduly complimentary or I'm favoring a player, they can take the positives that I say and turn those into I'm a homer or I'm unfairly prejudiced about, toward, for, and on behalf of a particular player. So be it. I'm not going to change my approach trying to be as level and honest and forthright about every aspect. I don't have sacred cows. I don't go all in one direction. I know some of my TV brethren do, and I know they've had a tremendous amount of success doing it. I just can't bring myself to approaching it that way. So, the Durant Giannis, while I have serious questions about KD talking about uh, having his number retired and why, when it came to his actual battle with Giannis, I am grateful that we're getting to see this because these two went at it. They were willing not just to try to outscore each other or outplaymake each other, but willing to defend each other. It wasn't every possession because of who else was on the floor with them. Giannis played center and had to match up with Andre Drummond a fair amount. But they didn't shy away from it when the opportunity presented itself. They fought through screens to stay attached to each other rather than accepting a switch as we so often see. I won't mention his name again, but you know who does that f- far too much for my liking considering how good he can be as an on-the-ball defender. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Far too much focus, I'm sure, already has been and will continue to be placed on KD missing the potential game winner at the end of regulation in this last game and again on the final possession of overtime as the reason the Nets lose or lost. It's easy to draw a line between this game and game seven last spring. But there's a bigger element at work here. The greater issue is that Kyrie Irving doesn't know how to integrate his game with KD's as well as Drew Holiday does with Giannis. And the Nets have no choice but to play Drummond 
who missed two big free throws and is also hard to integrate into the offense. He's not a rim runner or a lob threat off pick and rolls. He gets one every now and then, but for the most part, he's not that agile. He's not really that kind of a leaper. Great rebounder, largely because of his width. He's very good at positioning himself and grabbing rebounds. And I don't know what his wingspan is, but anytime a guy has a wingspan that is unusually long, it catches people off guard. We Maybe I'll talk about this at some point. Your wingspan, the average wingspan, is your height. And most NBA players have a wingspan that it's at at least two or three inches uh, longer than their height. And what that does is, psychologically, we all measure people and their wingspan, their reach, based on their height when you're playing. And when a guy has extra length, extra reach, that's where you're surprised that they get the balls, whether it's blocking a shot or a rebound, that you didn't expect them to get to. That's what Drummond has uh, to his advantage. So the, the rebounding numbers are always going to be impressive. But working, making his offensive prowess, his offensive abilities fit in with KD and Kyrie, that's more challenging because he's kind of limited on that end. And can we agree from now on to stop talking about Kyrie as a point guard? KD was their primary facilitator and playmaker in this game finishing with 11 assists. And he clearly made the decided uh, effort to be that facilitator. I don't know that it ever really occurs to Kyrie to approach the game that way. Now, he finished with six assists, but they were mostly the swing to the next open shooter on the perimeter rather than a drive and kick or drop-off pass or I'm I'm creating something to get somebody else who's hot the ball and a good shot. Kyrie is always looking to get hot. He's always looking for his shot first and foremost. He took 22 shots in the game against the Bucs to score 25 points. Far too many times eating up the entire clock, trying to create a look for himself. With 130 left in regulation and the Bucs leading by five, had a really crucial possession. Irving dribbled into a double team and launched an off-balance turnaround jumper over 6'10 Bobby Portis all while being hounded by Holiday, It was hero ball at its finest. He took one shot in overtime and missed it. Another high degree of difficulty, one-handed floater over a sea or in the midst of a sea of Bucks defenders. Now the shot clock was down to two seconds. Bruce Brown was open at the, just inside the free throw line. So I can understand that he threw something up there rather than pitching it to a wide open Brown for a couple of reasons. But my point is, this is where Kyrie has none of Steph Curry's ability to move without the ball and find a soft spot in the defense. Watching KD and Kyrie against the Bucks in crunch time felt very reminiscent of KD and Russ Westbrook in Oklahoma City. Kyrie invariably looks to dribble into that soft spot. And at 6-1, with defenders as long and strong as the Bucks. Those are going to be far and few between once you get to the postseason. Admire his handle and his pull-up J all you want because they are truly special. But without the ability to get open without the ball, he is clearly a step below Steph 
and being a factor with the game on the line. The win serves as a huge psychological boost for the Bucks, seeing as it was fashioned after losing Chris Middleton to a flagrant foul. Penalty two, with five minutes left in regulation. Middleton was ejected after he stopped a breakaway layup by Bruce Brown by swiping at the ball and then pulling down on Brown's arm. It prompted Brown to take a hard spill, but I just don't know or I don't buy that Middleton was looking to hurt him. He made a play on the ball. He swiped at the ball. He missed. And the instinct of any player is to make sure the shooter doesn't finish the layup. And in this case, he was able to do that by coming down and grabbing his arm. Now, Brown, and I'm sure Nets fans don't want to hear this, Brown actually created the opening by slowing down, getting his steps right, gathering, and then going up off two feet, presumably to dunk it. It's the only reason to slow down like that. I don't think he knew Middleton was as close as he was. If Brown simply jets in for a regular layup, especially an extended, underhanded, one-hander. Middleton couldn't have got to him. The win also came by way of Giannis hitting a three that tied the score in regulation, as I mentioned, after he had missed a pair of free throws and a pull-up jumper superbly defended by KD. I got to tell you, just the instances where I saw those two guys being of such similar size going at each other was a joy. It is, as I said, shades of Magic Bird. Just I was thrilled because we so rarely see that, whether it's coaching decisions or it's the players themselves, their willingness to defend each other as well as try to score is just few and far between. But the fact is Giannis is stronger and longer than KD. He repeatedly attacked the rim and went to the free throw line, including on the ultimate game winning pair. Whereas KD had no choice, but to float around the perimeter. Giannis, as I mentioned, finished with 15 free throws out of 19 attempted, whereas KD was only 3 for 3 from the line. I don't want to hear anything about officiating. Giannis was far and away the aggressor when it came to getting into the paint. KD is, without question, the superior three-point shooter between the two of them, but I will take free throws and finishes at the rim over contested threes, no matter how good the shooter is. And... Giannis's fearlessness in taking and making both the three and the mid-range, and he made a couple of those as well, didn't just miss the big one, to do all that with the game on the line has to serve as a huge uh-oh for the Nets and for everybody else in the league. Now, I've never been to the party that he has to develop a three-point shot, but that's the key. The key is that mid-range jumper, and he's developed it. He has it, and you're not blocking that. He shoots it with a as release as high as KD's. He didn't have either of those, though, a year ago. Very hesitant to shoot a three with the game on the line, and certainly was not taking mid-range jumpers with the game on the line. Making one in a game of this intensity is only going to build his confidence. Reggie Miller doing color commentary, went with the tired old line about it being a win for the Nets whenever Giannis launches a three. But it's not as if he isn't prudent about taking them. He averages between three and four a game. 
and he shoots 30%. He has to take at least that many just to keep the defense honest, aside from developing the ability to shoot it and make it on a regular basis. The idea that he should never shoot a three, which I believe Reggie was suggesting, is just flat out dumb. But if nothing else, this was a great prequel to the playoffs. And we can only hope we get to see the Nets and Bucks in a series. As I said, the way KD and Giannis challenge each other has shades of magic and bird. And that is a win for all of us. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United WeCast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. In the next episode, I want to get into what we learned about Joel Embiid from the piece in Sports Illustrated. I thought it was incredibly revealing. The writer didn't take it there, didn't come to some of the conclusions that I did. He simply, Chris Mannix, good writer, uh, simply told the story uh, of the conversation with Joel Embiid about what motivates him, about how he spends his time, about how he feels about being a star in the NBA. I thought it was very informative and revealing and why I have a better understanding of the good and bad of Joel Embiid. What I believe ultimately he's going to have to get over to become a champion and whether he will or is capable of doing that. We'll discuss all of that in the next episode. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.